the Neon Confidential podcast. Is this thing on? <laughs> Welcome back to Neon Confidential. We are kicking off 2024 with 24 episodes in the bank. And last year was such a whirlwind of a year for someone who started a podcast with no idea how it was going to go or where the conversations were going to lead. We had some incredible guests, including Raiders defensive end Max Crosby, who was just nominated for NFL Defensive Player of the Year, UFC Octagon Girl Brittany Palmer, the OG web celeb and celeb gossip columnist Perez Hilton, Backstreet Boys Nick Carter's wife Lauren Carter, our assistant sheriff Sasha Larkin, Vegas Strip headliner Frankie Marino, and the list goes on and on. So many difference makers in our community and beyond, and I'm so grateful to have been able to lead and be involved with sharing these conversations with you all. And most importantly, I'm so thrilled that you all have tuned in and actually listened. I started the podcast off last year with an intro episode explaining the genesis of Neon Confidential, so it only makes sense to do it again, but with a slight twist. My dear friend, Brad Booker, who literally interviews people and not just people like celebrities for a living, flew into town and interviewed me at this time. He was on the radio here in Vegas 10 years ago when we met and we became fast friends. And he now hosts the number one radio show in Austin, Texas, which is both of our home state. So Brad flew out here not only so we could go to the Grammys in LA, but he made a pit stop here in Vegas to interview Lil Old Me after a year of Neon Confidential. As he mentions at the start of this episode, I really did not want to do this. The podcast is not about me, but on a whim and spur of the moment at dinner at Carbone. The night before, I figured, why the hell not? This episode did not go how I expected it to go. Uh, there are obviously a ton of things that we did not touch on that I thought that we would, and a ton of things that we did discuss that I was hoping we wouldn't. But being in Vegas, it was dealer's choice. So here we go. Please welcome me to my podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to Neon Confidential. I'm Megan Fazio. <laughs> okay. So this is probably a little confusing. My name is Brad Booker, and I have known Megan since we both moved to Vegas from Texas 12 years ago. And ever since you started this podcast, it's interesting because I am a radio host, and that's what I've devoted my entire a life to, and I have interviewed some of the biggest stars in the world, including some of the biggest headliners in Las Vegas. And I have said to you since we started, I should come in and interview you, especially because whenever you post personal stuff on your social media, it gets a lot of traction and people are always asking questions about you and things about your you know, style and, and, and uh, you know, certainly one of the things that really pops off is whenever you talk about relationships, all of those things that we're going to cover. But every time I say, Hey, let me interview you. You've always turned me down. And I think it's because you're very humble and this is not about you. This is about talking to the big movers and shakers, the influencers in Las Vegas. Right. But that is you, <laughs> you own a huge PR company in Las Vegas, and you are a mover and shaker. You're one of the top 40 under 40. And finally, you said to me, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Why'd you change your mind? I think it was kind of like a new year, new direction. And I didn't, when I started the podcast, I didn't know where it was going to go. Like I had an idea of what I wanted in my head, 
But I do, I think the reason is because A, I'm sentimental, you're sentimental. And I do think that I'll look back on this as like a time capsule kind of thing. When you and I sat down at this point in my life, at this point in your life, and we're having a, a conversation as friends, which was kind of the genesis for the podcast. I'm like, I know all these cool people with interesting stories and that's, I want to um, record and have those conversations. And I think other people would get value from them, but yeah, you're right. I think people, I'm constantly responding back to people who get value off the things that I post. So I'm like, let's just, if there's anyone who's going to interview me, Brad Booker, <laughs> my bestie, you're, you're it. Now, I just want to say for the record, you and I have not talked about this at all. Like zero. We went to dinner at Carbone last night. I was bitching about work stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for the record, you have not asked me no. any of the questions I'm asking you. No, I don't know what you're going to ask. You have no clue. I said, is there anything that's off the table? You said, no. Right. So it's fair game. Yeah, just don't. If you're going to make me cry, wait till like the end. <laughs> oh, so, so you don't have to reapply in your Yeah, makeup. totally. Yes. <laughs> I hope we make you cry. Yeah. Because. No, don't means... say we like you. Okay. I Take hope I make you cry. No, look. If you do feel inclined to do so, um, I do appreciate your vulnerability here because I know you're typically in a place of power and you call the shots, but you're not doing that now. So thank you. All right. You know, let's just start off with what you know. That's you and your childhood. Let's go back. You grew up in Houston, Texas. And what kind of person were you like when you were a kid? And how did your childhood form you into who you have become today. Okay. Good and bad. All right. So I think when I was little, I was really quiet and observant. Um, I also, I do think that what, wherever people grew up has a profound impact on who they are as a person, whether that's the East coast, like we grew up in the South. And I do think that like those morals and values and the strong sense of, um, just character and, and, and values that that has translated, you know, to my life here in Vegas as well. But when I was little, I was quiet. I was observant. Um, I, there's one thing in particular when I was at my, one of my dad's, um, a woman that he dated for probably a decade was at her house. And I was, I overheard a conversation they were having. Mm. And she said to my dad, you better be careful what you say in front of Megan, because she is watching and evaluating and listening and learning through what you do and I think that like she totally nailed it I was I was like very quiet um and then I did sports where you would typically think that that was like something to be uh like popular at like I was a cheerleader but before I was a cheerleader I was a gymnast and I remember when I people thought I was going to go to the Olympics when I was in uh, gymnastics I went all the way up to level six, which is pretty difficult. I uh, went to a summer camp and was trained by Bella Caroli, who has trained uh, Dominic Muciano, who was in the 96 Olympics. Um, from Houston. From Houston. Mm -hmm. And so that was my sport. And I was very extremely disciplined. I trained three or four times a week. And I think that that is also translated to the success that I've had. Like I still, you know, wake up every single morning and I work out um, without fail every single day. So um, I think the point of that though, is that when I was in gymnastics, I had a nasty tumble off the beam, fell and hit my head. And, uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't get over this fear of the beam. I would just get 
on the beam and I would just tap my toe and I just couldn't do my backward passes. So we kind of came to this conclusion where I just needed to switch and enjoy my childhood more. And so I decided to be a cheerleader. And I remember like when the coach would walk away, the girls would stop conditioning, like stop doing like our crunches and our stretches. And I wouldn't. And I thought it was just so weird that people would try to get away with, with things. So I've always had this innate sense of discipline. Um, I've always worked really hard and I don't think that was for anybody else but myself. Uh, and what else do you want to know? Did you ever get back on the beam? I didn't. That was it. Like I wrapped up my gymnastics career. It was like, it was a, it was a big deal. Like a lot of people thought, you know, I was going to go to the Olympics. So it was hard. It was a hard switch. So you're scared of the beam. Yeah. You're intimidated by the beam. <laughs> totally. So how is that translated into your work life? How has, I mean, certainly moving to Vegas is intimidating. So how did you learn that you're going to get back on the beam in your professional life? I don't life? think I ever look at things like that. Like I, I moved to Vegas out of sight, out of mind, and I never even thought about it. I never, and that's how I operate in my daily life. Like I don't ever look this interview when you're, I didn't ask you the questions because what's the, you know, why would you even think about something that hasn't happened yet? You just, if you feel it, if you feel it's something that you have to do, you're just, I kind of just go with the flow in that way, you know? Mm. But whenever you work with a client, you don't just willy nilly it. You're no. prepared. You have a strategy in place. Totally. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. But things are going to go wrong. Yeah. Um, You're going to fall off the beam. Yes. I think that then I think what you're saying in that sense, as far as that translating to my life is I can pivot really well. Like that didn't work out. So I'm going to try this other thing that's going to work out. You mm -hmm. know, I was still like, I still can go to tumbling class and pull the exact same pass that I could pull when I was a, a cheerleader. So I think that, you know, you have a foundation of, of what you know and what you're good at. You can just figure out, like, you can tweak things if they're not working out, you know? Did you have a good childhood? I think I had a complex childhood. I, um, I had, I certainly had a happy, there are happy times. I, um, you gotta stop clicking your pen, put your fucking pen down. Like hear it in my thing. It's sort of sorry. Shot. I'm so sorry. Expert interviewer Brad Booker, everyone clicking his fucking pen. On Nobody could hear that except for you. <laughs> you want to talk about my OCD next? <laughs> okay. Um, back to my childhood. Complex. It was Com very complex. It was complex. I had I had a happy childhood for the most part. Like. My mom had dinner on the table, you know, every single night at 5.30 or 6 p.m. We ate as a family. Um, she also worked. She's the breadwinner in our household. We grew up on four acres. I had, we had three horses. We had, you know, there was, right, we had a barbed wire fence in the back that separated our property from the next line. But the guy was, you know, you couldn't see his house for miles. So there was like cows and chickens. And that was the life that I grew up with. Um and my dad, on the other hand, lived in like a suburbia kind of environment. So I was able to see the juxtaposition of like those two lifestyles. Like living on a farm is is not what people think it is. It's a lot of work. We were like shoveling up horse shit when I was like 10. When did they <laughs> get divorced, your parents? My parents got divorced when I was two. Um, so you never knew a time where they were together? I never knew a time when they were together. And I think 
I grew up hearing, especially being from the South where people get married really young, that I came from a broken family. But I think that on the inverse of that, I would rather never see my parents fight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So while I never saw them kiss or anything, I also was never around them like having these knockdown drag out arguments. Like I know a lot of people just stay together because their kids are in school or whatever. So I never witnessed that. So to me, like, I think that's more of a broken household than your parents getting divorced and living separate lives. But know? did you grow up seeing parents that loved each other? And anyway, <laughs> did you see adults loving each other? Adults that were close to you? Did you get a sense of nurture, um, a happy well, sure. relationship? Well, I should say. My, yeah. My mom was remarried. My mom got remarried to my stepdad. My stepdad's my stepdad since I was four. Um, so for sure. And then also my dad, he, while he's never remarried, he's been in long-term relationships and I've been able to see him be very loving toward women, you know, like, um, yeah, I think, I mean, without getting like too granular with that, it's like just being kind and courting. Like I, you know, I, most people wouldn't ever be able to see their parents court each other if they've been married for, uh -huh. you know, two decades. But I was able to see my dad, like what it means to, um, to court a woman, you know, and that's been something that's very important to me, um, opening their car doors and, and, you know, just, I don't know, holding hands and that kind of thing. A lot of married couples don't really do that. Yeah. I mean, in our adult relationships, a lot of it has to do with what we see in our childhood. And um, as people close to you know, you have um, been relationship challenged. Mm -hmm. That's a nice, that's a nice one. <laughs> do you think that that has anything to do with what you saw or what you didn't see or what your expectations are based upon what you experienced? Certainly my expectations, but certainly also... You know, I, I just gave you the highlight reel of the good times just now. Um, but again, like it, my childhood was complex because my dad, as you know, is a he's an alcoholic. He was an abusive alcoholic when I was growing up toward both my brother and I. It's something that for a while I didn't I hid it from people like even my relationships. I remember I was dating this guy who family was really important to him. And, um, you know, my dad would call me hammered and my dad is such you know it's hard to dive straight into this because a lot of my amazing qualities I get from my dad he was always an athlete he could run you know six minute miles up till I was you know 15 um I'm a scuba diver because my dad certified me to scuba dive when I was the youngest age you can you can get a child certified as 12 um so I, we spent our summers in the Cayman Islands diving as me and my dad's activity so and he's, he journals. He's such a smart, intelligent, wise person. And anyone with an alcoholic parent knows that that's the complexity of it, right? Like when they're not drunk, they're amazing people. Um, but when they are, it's, they're somebody else. And so as a child, that's really hard to process because you feel like you have to constantly forgive that person. And so I think that's translated into my life now where if a person I'm dating does something that is a red flag, I feel like I just have to forgive them because that's what I did my entire childhood. So I, I've mm. stayed with people for too long, you know, that I should have seen within the first three months, the red flags and, and had the, um, wherewithal and, um, as a word that I'm looking for, just the, just, 
compassion for myself to let the relationship go. And I stayed with him because I learned that from a young age. Like, you can't really break up with your dad. You know what I mean? Or was it the sense of you're trying to fix them? Or was it maybe that you grew up in a chaotic world oh. and chaos was comfortable to you? Totally. Both of those things. And obviously, I've been going to my therapist for five years. I love her. Therapy is also something that I didn't really talk openly about, but like, I fucking love my therapist. She's great. And, um, and yeah, that's certainly it. Like growing up in a, in a place of chaos, sometimes I feel like if things aren't chaotic in my relationship, then things aren't okay. But something I've learned is that like, it seems like boring love is probably like good love. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you don't have to wonder where somebody is, like maybe that seems boring or you know, if there's not trust issues or if the person's just like a good man, um, that that seems boring. But in my most stable relationships, you know, there wasn't any chaos. So really? Oh, for sure. Do you know really? what you know what I'm thinking about? <laughs> oh, you don't want to say? No, there's only been one. <laughs> well, one relationship without chaos? Yeah. Yes, I think I do. So what has been the issue in your relationships? I wasn't planning on going there, but it certainly is a natural progression. Uh, you've dated a lot of men. You certainly, it's interesting. My mom said, for such a beautiful, successful woman, I can't believe she's still single. I'm like, well, there's so much more to it than that, mom. But why do you think you have gone from troubled relationship to troubled relationship? I think it's a definite two-way street, but what's you know, I, I think has been shown to me through healthy situations like therapy is that I am dating men who aren't ready to date somebody like me. I think from the outside, I look really appealing, like what your mom is saying, like, oh my God, she's successful. She's this, she's that. What do you mean they're not ready to date someone like you? Well, I think from the outside looking in, it looks great. But imagine like the reason why I'm successful doesn't really translate to being successful in a relationship. Like I'm bossing CEOs and marketing teams around all the time. You know, I can't, you can't really do that um, in your relationship. You can't really be in charge, especially with a man. And you're talking about the dichotomy of like, how women and, and men feel like they have to be in their masculine and feminine and all of that. So, um, yeah, did that answer the question? Well, okay. So to piggyback on that, because you are a, uh, a powerful CEO by day, when you get home, do you translate that sort of assertive energy or do you just want to take a back seat and let him drive the car. Yes, the second one. Yeah. And I've certainly gotten better at it. Like I I want the man to be the man, but it's it is intimidating especially when in the last three relationships it's been no uh secret that the guy has moved into my house. When I was 27 years old, I bought my own house when I lived out here. So a lot of times when I'm dating people, that's not that hasn't been the case for them. So it, I I'm not going to move into someone's apartment. That doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. right? So that's something that I've learned. I, I, that's not happening like ever again. And I think I've said that three times now. <laughs> you have. And every time I've said, why? Am I, and my therapist yes. has said why. So again, <laughs> there are things that I have done that are certainly by no means perfect. And I have to take accountability for those. And I have. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the type of people that I'm choosing. Like my picker has been off. I've been choosing people that don't compliment me. You know, and, and, and 
I don't want to change anybody and I don't want anyone to change me. It's like at this point in my life, I feel pretty secure. Obviously, I want to change to get better. But in my last th three relationships, like as a kind of activity that we've that I've had with these different men, um, like what's a quality in me that you respect? And like the the one that all three of them said was you're constantly trying to make yourself better. And so I'm not saying I don't want to change in terms of like, right, you've got to be crazy. If there's a better way of doing something that you know would make you a better person, why wouldn't you want to do that? So I feel like I've gotten to this place of this is me, this is who I am. If there's something about me that maybe you can't handle, that's probably not a me problem. It's probably a you problem in terms of, you know, not being okay with me making more money than them or me not being them not being okay with, um, getting attracted, uh, getting attention from men. Sure. Um, working all the time. Right. Yes. You're married to your job. How could you possibly find time to devote attention to someone else? Right. Yes. I could date somebody, you know, it's hard. Everyone's like, you need a this, you need a guy that does this. You need a CEO. You need, and my therapist is like, but do you, because if you did that, then how would y'all have time for each other right. like separately, you know? So I think it's a balance. I think when I find something that makes sense, I think it'll make sense. But in the meantime, I haven't dated in a year and a half. Wow. <laughs> Interestingly enough, that's about the same amount of time you've been sober. That's right. Yeah. I, I've been sober for nine months. Okay. Um, but yeah. Just by it, choice. By choice. Right. I just, I, it's a little bit of like, yeah, I don't have time to date. Um, I'm just not interested. Like I'm really just not interested. And I do think at this point, I do know what I want. Like last night we were talking, what, what did you say that, what is the, uh, that you should just date anybody? What is that called? Uh, duty dating, duty, dating. duty dating, where you should always have three guys if, that you're dating. No, you want a, uh, bronze medalist, a silver medalist and gold medalist and see who ends up at the top of the platform. Can you fucking imagine how much time that would take It, it would forever? <laughs> Absolutely. Like I just don't. And I don't, I don't want to waste anyone's time. It's almost not even like a me. Like, I don't want anyone wasting my time. I don't want to lead anybody on that. Like at this age, we should be dating to like be married. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And spend our lives together. So, and the other thing that has happened in my past is that I have dated just because they were nice to me and I wasn't really attracted to them. Like literally physically, I wasn't attracted to them. And I felt like that made me some sort of like, you know, what is that word? Oh, right. Uh, uh, the, the main character syndrome, but the opposite, I guess. Or you like, know, like, oh, wow, she's so like, you know, she doesn't like think so highly of herself if she could date someone. But I just, I, I was in a place where, where... Her insecurity allows her to date down. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I dated somebody that I wasn't attracted to just because he was nice to me. Mm. And so that's what I am. When you said that, it like, was a trigger for me. Because I'm like, I'm not doing that shit. I'm not going to go on a date with someone who I'm not automatically attracted to. Because that is part of it. It's not all of it. You know what I mean? But it is certainly part of it. Like, how are you going to spend your life with someone that you don't feel that chemistry but with. isn't it true megan and oftentimes you look for the pretty boys immediately as do a lot of people they want to be attracted to them physically but isn't it true though i feel like i'm on, i feel like i'm on head of court <laughs> that you object your honor leading the witness <laughs> that you find someone that is kind to you that 
you grow to love them and find them attractive innately. I mean, that hasn't happened yet. It's possible. It's been the other way around where I get sucked into these guys who are very nice at first. And they are, they say that there's something that they aren't. Mm. And then they become somebody else. I think that I could have just answered the question like that from the beginning. Like, I think the issue is I don't give the relationship enough time in the beginning to figure out who somebody actually is before jumping into the relationship and you know, you, it, it takes time to get to know someone. It really does. Like, I mean, I would say a year at minimum. So it's interesting whenever I talk to any attractive woman, the wild stories that they have about how just out of pocket guys are, are you constantly getting DMS from guys asking you out? No, no, mm -mm. really, really. I mean, no a, inappropriate comments. No, no definitely, definitely not. Oh, no. Why? I think I don't put that kind of energy out there. Like I'm not uh, asking for that kind of attention, I guess. Like I don't want to speak down on anyone who does, but I don't use my social media like a dating platform, like posting my outfits and like my client work and stuff. You know, um, I don't. I don't feel like I'm putting that vibe out. And I think I also, I've been told a few times that like, I've got like a, a low bullshit tolerance. And I think that probably comes across. Like mm. I got that kind of time and I'll shut your ass down. If anyone tried that shit, I would not, I mean, I would not be here for it. All right. Let's talk about social media. So you post on the regular, um, virtually every single day and, uh, on stories, on stories. It's, uh, artistic. Uh, a lot of it is work related, but there is some, personal uh aspect of it you're always showing off what outfits you're wearing and that sort of thing um always glam always mm -hmm. you live in a city that um well you'll admit you've you, there are things that you have enhanced mm -hmm. yeah so you live in a city where nothing is real right mm -hmm. we have a fake eiffel tower we have a fake statue of liberty you know <laughs> Is there anything authentic about Las Vegas? Um, I think that this is, and this is hard for me to say, what is authentic about Las Vegas are the people that, and I've been very fortunate to find a really good core group of people um, because it is, it is really easy to get kind of like lost up the hype of Las Vegas. And I mean, if you, you have to learn how to say no in this town for sure. Cause if you don't, it'll just, you know, eat you from the inside out. Um, how do you say no? How do you say no? Because you're, you have a job where all you try to do is accommodate people. You yeah. want to make people happy. You want to be the yes person. Yeah. You want to make your clients happy. So how do you say no? Uh, I definitely, it's a work in progress saying no. Um, I, it's, and it's a concerted effort. Like I really have to try to say no because it does it appeals to that people pleasy side of me where and and it's my job to be quite frank like i have to um accommodate journalists and influencers and uh and my clients and people who are coming to town and so i i think that um at first i felt like i needed to be at every single event and then i just know that i don't now and i do think that i did have to at one point like i needed to for my career 
but I've, I've established myself to this point. I've built a team where I don't need to be at everything. Um, and I've kind of put people around me as like buffers or people in place, but yeah, there's, there are a lot of people pulling me all sorts of different ways, but at the end of the day, like if I want to get my job done, there's things that I've said no to on a grand scale, not talking about someone who texts me and says, can you do this for me? I've said no to alcohol. Um, and I've kind of been reevaluating choices. I mean, I think that's like growth, right? And I am such in, some people would call it OCD, but I definitely have a uh, routine. And I think if you want to have an exceptional life, you have to have a good daily routine. So there's just things that are more important to me than staying out late and drinking. I never thought I would ever stop drinking. Like we, like in Texas, it's like I could drink people under the table. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, what's a, what's a good woman without a good whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I wouldn't go on dates with men if they said they were sober, yeah. I swear, because it, I thought that that meant that they, they had were a, fun. They well, or they might've had a problem uh, like right. my dad, right. um, that it must've signified and, and yeah, that I didn't want to, I want to be able to go to dinner with a man and have a nice glass of wine. Like not something, it's just, there's these lies that we tell ourselves to help, you know, help our story that we think is going on our narrative of, of our life and who we are. And there are just things these days that are more important to me than that. I want to wake up with all of my wits about me. I want my, I have my weekends back now. I wake up at seven 30 on the weekends and, you know, Zena and I go on a hike every single day. And, um, you know, she got lymphoma. She was diagnosed two years ago. And it's just important for me to like give her a great life. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I don't have a partner. So like I've got my dog and that's important to me to be there for her. And I've got a team of people that I lead and I, and I don't take that lightly. I take them very seriously. It's like, I've got five girls that depend on me for their livelihoods every day, their paychecks. Like, uh, my clients depend on me to, um, to do great work and great marketing campaigns and social media campaigns. And, and I want to be the best at, at what I do. And so that doesn't involve alcohol for me. So I, yeah. I I have to say no to things that don't support this new person I'm, I am or that I'm becoming, you know? Now, that doesn't mean that you stay away from it. I mean, you can't get away from alcohol in Las Vegas. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be around it with your friends. It doesn't mean that you would not date somebody that drinks, right? Right. So you would enter into a relationship with someone. You would have no problem being at home watching a movie while he's drinking a beer. No, that's totally fine. Like that's their thing. Okay. They can do that. Then totally fine. But, um, and I never said that I'm never going to drink again. It was just, did I tell you about why, why I stopped drinking? Yeah, but I forgot okay. why. I, if anyone's listening, if you've ever been on a flight. Well, I hope so. That's why we're <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> Who has been in a situation like this, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. If you've been on a flight hungover, it is brutal. Mm. Like it just, and I already, so if anyone takes the 23 and me test, you can tell that you have this like genetic variant. When I saw this, I was like, I knew it. I have a genetic variant that makes it harder for my body to expunge alcohol. And so, and, and I'm not a puker, you know, I've never been a puker. Mm. And so what makes that worse is now my liver is not able to process this alcohol. It's just getting trapped in this, in, in my potty. So my hangovers have been brutal my entire life. Um, 
So what recently happened was I went back home for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Mm, <laughs> this mm. is when I saw you. Yeah, I remember that. It was a night before a gentleman named Arthur Meridian, who you've met. <laughs> I love Arthur. I do too. And he used to work out here in Vegas. Yeah. And I can't remember the new tent that's going on at the rodeo where it's like a five-star restaurant with like deer antler uh, chandeliers and it's like leather couches. It's like a pop-up restaurant. And um, Andrea and I, my best girlfriend in Texas, we were eating there and Arthur comes over when we're wrapping up and he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? So he now works for this restaurant group. And he said, well, if you would have let me know, I would have taken care of your bill, but just come see me after the concert at the rodeo and I'll just take care of your drinks all night. <laughs> I don't know how many spicy margaritas. You shouldn't even be able to drink that many. Like it's a spicy margarita, but the, all the bartenders were making them differently because it was a different bartender every single time. So it's like some of them made it with like jalapeno vodka. The other ones muddled the jalapeno, whatever. I mean, not tequila, sorry, not vodka. Totally hungover. You had an event for South by Southwest the day after, right? Oh, no, the day it was before. No, no. Oh, it was, what? oh no, it was after. Oh, Oof. this. I didn't even think you know this. I was so hungover, and remember the weather changed. I think it was colder. Cold. Yeah, it got really cold. So I needed to change clothes, and I was in the airport bathroom, and I was so hammered. Yes. Trying to get the next day. Okay, like I'd been asleep. Okay, I and remember I'm this. And I'm still hammered when I woke up and I'm at the airport and I'm just like not functioning well. I'm like about, I'm like falling over in the stall trying to change my clothes. And I'm like, I am not in good shape, you know? Then when I get there, because your wife came and picked me up from the airport, she's so kind with Whataburger. Thank you. Praise me. But I was not in good shape. So when I got there, I think I slept for like three hours because I got an early flight because I thought I needed to be at your event at this time. And when I got there, there was like no one really there yet. Yeah. And I was like, I thought it started at this time. You're like, oh yeah, you could have come in like later if you wanted to. I was like, oh my God. That was it? No. Oh. That's part one. Okay. Then I went to the, that golf tournament, waste management. Yes. Golf tournament. In with, Phoenix? Yes. With my girlfriends. I was not prepared. I was not prepared. Like I don't, and that was round two. So like first thing was Houston last October and rodeo. Second one's waste management golf tournament. Had to fly back the next day from Scottsdale. I was hammered on the plane. When I woke up the next morning, my girlfriends were like, you were so much fun last night. I was like, <laughs> what did I do? They're like, you're arm wrestling people at 3.30 in the morning. I was like, oh, no, no memory. Zero. Don't remember anything. That's scary. It you is. know what I mean? Yeah. Thank God I was like with my girlfriends in the hotel room. So that was strike two. That was the second flight that I'd take hungover. The third flight was my birthday. I went to Barcelona for a quick, like relaxing getaway. Well, I've got a friend, a family friend there that owns a bar called Space Cowboy. Shout out to Ryan. He listens. Uh, and it was like the last day of the trip that he was there. Like we'd missed each other except for this last day. And he knows all the people around town that these amazing like gastronomy, like cocktails. I had a clear cocktail that tasted like a tomato soup, you know, like he just knows all these really cool spots in Barcelona. You don't want to miss it. We'd gone to like six different bars and had like one cocktail each, but I had an international flight the next day and I was like, that's it. Mm. I'm done. 
So it was so it was all, the series of flights after you have been drinking excessively. Yep. Where you said, "I just can't do this." I'm anymore. not doing it anymore. And I didn't set a parameter. I didn't say I'm never going to drink again. But I made it, you know, six months, and now and then eight months, and I'm like, I might as well just go a year. So, and then reevaluate. Yeah, reevaluate. Right. I don't think I need it. Plus, there's so much science out there about how terrible drinking is for you. Mm, like, right. it is, there's no study. They have like retracted every study they've ever done. That like even the red wine, wine thing. Right. It's not true. Yeah. So it's like, how could you hear this information and then continue to poison yourself with alcohol? So we'll see. That's not what this is about. But no. it's a, you feel a lot better. And I know exactly what you're talking about because it's been a little over a month for me. That's all I can go. And uh, um, I feel so much better as well. Gives you that glow up. Back to the glam. Mm -hmm. I don't ever, nor does anyone ever see you not glammed. Why is it so important for you to have your hair done, your wax done, your eyebrows, your lips? Why is uh, even your, your attire always... 10. Why is it always you glammed? Why not show, hey, there's another side of me too? Yeah. I think that, well, first of all, when I am coming into work, it's almost like a, I'm putting on my like battle gear for the day. It's like my war paint. You know what I mean? It's like a process that I like to do that gets me ready for the day. I also think that being polished and presentable is really a lost art. And I do think that there are, you know, the CEOs of the companies that I, that I work with are in their, you know, late forties, fifties and sixties. Like they grew up around women that put themselves together every day. Um, I grew up watching my mom do it every morning. Like it's just, especially coming again, being raised in the South. I think where you are raised has so much to do with how you are. And I, I think that that's what it was. Like even like Sunday mornings, you're going to church. Those women like had their hair and makeup done and they had on their literal, their Sunday best. There's a, that's where that comes from, you know, and that's where I come from. And, and it makes me, the one thing that I didn't love and my mom and I've actually talked about this before, she couldn't leave the house without makeup on you know, and, and that's in, from a young girl seeing that that's, it makes an impression. You're impressionable at that age. So, you know, my rule is that on Sundays, I don't ever put makeup on. Like even, you know, I told you that I didn't want to record this podcast on Saturday because on Saturdays and Sundays, I don't wear makeup. It doesn't matter where I'm going. And that is definitely intentional. Like it's almost like a reality check for me. Like I want to be able to go out into the world as my actual self, you know, without piling makeup on my face or doing my hair. Except on game day. Except on game days, not that. <laughs> that is church. That's church. That is church. That is church. And I, when I was a cheerleader, we had to get dressed up for football games. So that doesn't, you know, I don't, I think that's all part of it. Like, it's almost like a, um, not like a theater performance or something, but I definitely am getting ready to be in front of people who I respect. And I want to give them that respect also and put some effort into how I look, you know? Do you think that? It is necessary to be at the top of your game as a young woman in Las Vegas to be respected. What do you mean? Meaning, do you feel that you have to be put together? It's it, it's essential for you to be put together so you can 
be respected uh-huh. because you know obviously it's it's more difficult when you're younger it's more difficult when you're a female if you're both then those are two big obstacles i think that's it's all part of it right like because i wouldn't be sitting in those boardrooms or have a seat at those tables if what was coming out of my mouth wasn't like relevant and respected but i do think that it's part of it like you command a room and 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 by doing that you have to be prepared you have to be well spoken you have to be polished and put together i think it's like a whole package thing you know i don't it's definitely like just it's just part of it for me i mean i could could i and and i do i have come to the office there's some days where like i won't take meetings which is speaking of saying no to stuff on mondays and fridays i don't take meetings and no that's just no exception that's my time with my team um and those days i come to the office and work out clothes you know oh wow mm-hmm. but but that is again a concerted effort and it was really hard for it's hard it's hard for me to do it because i want to say yes all the time to people who are important but what i found is that people respect that if i say um they you know can you have a call on monday at this time or a meeting i'll usually take a call but like if it's an in-person meeting i'm like no that's actually the time that i have carved out for my team what other date works for you you hmm. know so you moved to Vegas 12 years ago and you didn't move here with the intention of opening up your own firm, so to speak. Um, you came with a company, mm-hmm. a big one. Mm-hmm. It was a huge, huge company. <laughs> I haven't thought about how I'm going to tell this story, but keep going. <laughs> so you weren't here very long before I think you finally said, you know what, why am I busting my ass for someone else when... I could be doing this for myself. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's totally fair. Yeah. Do you want me to leave it at that or do you want me to get into what happened? Oh, was there more? Yeah. Oh, well, why and how do you take that leap of faith and say, I'm going to branch out and I'm going to start my own PR company in arguably the most PR intense city in America? It was a really easy choice. Again, where we are from, I had worked for a PR firm. You know, first of all, I graduated from University of Houston and I had three internships under my belt by the time I graduated. I worked for free in the PR field. I worked at um, American Heart Association, um, so for a nonprofit. And then I worked at a big agency called FKM, an advertising agency. And then I worked for a small boutique PR firm called the Paget Group. And Kim Paget is one of my mentors. So I'd already been working in the PR field for three years before I graduated. And so I immediately got a job. But the office that I was in was 700 square feet. And I worked with four girls and we were a small team, but we had each other's back. And there was no, there's no time for gossip. We had a job to do, you know, and everybody knew what was going on in all the accounts. And if there was um, someone needed help with something, we would literally just lean back in our chair and be like, Hey, what are you working on? You know, it was a very small working environment. So moving from, from, a a space like that, and then working for the largest PR firm in Nevada was a culture shock. Like I took a pay cut to come to Las Vegas. Um, and when I got here, I went from working with four people to working with 54 people. And we weren't allowed to, I promise, this is, I mean, even if they hear this, it's like literally how it was. Um, We weren't allowed to cross-pollinate between groups. Like, and literally the HR lady called it tribes. Like we were not allowed to talk to other tribes, which is bizarre. 
you know, and, and the CEOs had no idea what was going on, like at any point in time with like people's, with the clients that they were signing. And that was so weird to me, you know, it's not that small town, like touch, like you just, you're just cranking out numbers, you know? Um, and I just did not like that. And I hated waking up every morning and I hated going to work and people were gossipy. And that's another thing. And it's like, I thought this shit stopped in high school. Like I didn't get out of the workforce to come back into an environment where people are like, that's all they have to worry about. It's, it was so weird to me. So without getting into exactly any incriminating details, I found out some information that I should not have found out. And I knew that my superior was going to make it very hard for me to stay. And so I walked into the CEO's office and I sat down and he looked at me and he said, this isn't working out, is it? I said, nope. And he said, called in the HR lady. He said, I prepared a severance for you. So we all knew this was coming. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And um, I used that severance to start my own company. So it was like the biggest blessing in disguise. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a moment when you were starting from ground zero that you wondered how you were going to eat? Did you, did you have the growing pains? Did you have the struggles? Totally. Uh, absolutely. Like there were, uh, I mean, people ask if, if I was afraid and I guess I wasn't afraid cause I didn't have anything to lose. Literally. I didn't have anything to lose. Like had no employees that, you know, didn't have payroll system, didn't have, you know, I had nothing. And so I started with one client, um, not knowing how it was going to go. I didn't even, it wasn't my idea to start my own company. It was my mentor, Kim Padgett. I told her what had happened at my old firm. And she said, why don't you just start your own company? I was like, I can't, I was 24. That's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I said, I can't do that. She said, yeah, you can. She's like, you have clients beating down your door that I was running point on the accounts. Um, and by the way, there was no non-compete that I had to sign, but I waited anyway, because again, that was the right thing to do. Even though I didn't sign anything, I didn't want it to seem like I was stealing clients. So I waited, um, three months. I got, took a job at another PR firm and this late, this lady Solvig, she owns the firm. She's so great. She knew she, <laughs> I had been trying to get a meeting with her for a few weeks and, and she texted me and she said, I know you're going to leave and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came into her office, she looked at me and she said, are you going to start your own company? I said, I am. She goes, you're really good. You're really good at what you do. You're going to do great. Wow. And it was awesome. So it was kind of like, I didn't have anything to lose. Um, but I just knew that I could, I could do it. And I had really strong women in my corner that told me I could do it, including Kim Paget, my ex boss in Houston. And then this lady that I'd worked for, for three months. You have five employees now mm -hmm. and you have built this to be a, you call it a boutique mm -hmm. PR. What, what do you, it's a boutique public relations agency. agency. Yeah. Um, but still having five people that rely on their job here um, is a hefty responsibility. But you hired in this office, all women. Is that by design? Definitely not. I've had men that have worked here before. Mm -hmm. I've had two guys that have worked here just throughout the years. Our company's 11. So um, definitely not by design. I think it's more women who are in communications, which is funny because it used to be men who are in 
who were in marketing and advertising, you know, like the Mad Men-esque kind of era. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that women are kind of natural born storytellers, which is essentially what we're doing for the brands we represent. So it just kind of works out that way. But no, we've, uh, and I have male colleagues, a lot of them that work for um, marketing teams and resorts. So yeah, we, we work with men. So when you're away and the, the girls are left here by themselves, so what are they saying about you behind your back? Uh, I mean, we should ask Chelsea. Should we bring her in? (laughs) No, I want to hear from you. What do you think? What do you think your people are saying about you as a leader, as a boss, as a mentor, as a friend? I think they know that I'm really specific. I like things done a certain way. Um, and I adhere to strong values. And my expectation is that things are going to run as if I were here when I'm gone. Um, so I don't know how you would describe that, that I run a tight ship or um, I'm, I'm very p- particular, like that's for sure. Like I guess, I, I want, but they all want to do a very good job when I'm gone. Like I remember my dad and I went on a dive trip to Papua New Guinea, mm. which I couldn't even spell before, you know, I didn't even know where it was very far away, far, furthest I've ever traveled. And um, that's when I was building the other space. So this was five years ago. And I told the guys that I wanted no texture, flat white walls. And Chelsea walked into the office and there were textured eggshell colored walls on the entire office, like so many walls. (laughs) And she's like, Megan's not going to like this. So I, I, you know, like to me, that kind of describes, even though it has nothing to do with work, there's a certain way that I want things done and I know exactly what I want and I need people to execute it when I'm not here. You said earlier that you had sort of a chaotic childhood, Mm -hmm. whether it just be from going from one thing to another cheerleading to gymnastics or having a alcoholic father, your world was chaotic, which led to chaos in your personal relationships. But don't you think that that chaos and and your ability to think on the fly yes. has helped you in crisis management, yes. which you believe is a strong point? Well, it's an unfortunate strong point. You don't ever want to like, I mean, crisis communications is the worst part of what I do. But I think on a day-to-day basis, like if I'm not running late, I feel like my day's not going good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got to be like, I got to be all over the place. And I love it. Like I was built for this shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I thrive on a deadline. I fucking right. And so, but as far as crisis communications is concerned, because I was so observant and quiet, I think I was constantly figuring out a way solutions. Like I needed solutions. Um, my dad needed me to have solutions. You know what I mean? Um, and so I became very quick on my feet. I'm adaptable as fuck. <laughs> Um, and if like you're talking about pivoting, like if something's not working, don't waste your time, just figure out where, how you can pivot quickly. Um, and people rely on me to do it and I'm pretty good at it. So. You're very good at it. Yeah. At case in point, I want to, uh, bring up a couple of scenarios. Um, and I want you to tell me how a company or even a person can handle crisis in their lives. For instance... Um, KFC recently, well, this was years ago, but KFC had a crisis on their hands when due to supply chain issues, they 
ran out of chicken. Um, it's uh, in the textbooks as far as one of the absolute best ways to handle crisis management. Um, back in the 80s, Tylenol um, made news because people had, this was before, you know, they had the, the safety um, um, place um, that cyanide was found in their capsules. Um, so in situations where things like this happen, what's the absolute best way to handle it? And how important is it to handle it immediate and with full transparency? So here's the thing. It's hard to have a cookie. For those two instances, I can give you an answer. It's hard to have a cookie cutter answer for that because the first thing you have to do is be forthcoming and be forthcoming quickly with the facts that you have. Um, sometimes you don't have all the facts immediately, but communicating with your publics as quickly, efficiently, and factually as you can is important. And also apologizing. <laughs> um, it, and people are usually pretty forgiving, but it's when you try to cover something up that people will find out. Journal, it's their job. Journalists will find out. So it's important to be take accountability, first of all, and then also talk about the solution, what you're doing to work and work on and fix the problem because you got to gain that trust back when there's a crisis that happens you immediately lose the trust of all these people so they well, want to know that you're sorry it's interesting that you say that because with tylenol it was found that it had absolutely nothing to do with them right but they did immediately come out and apologize why should you apologize if it's not your fault I think, and again, it's, it's so specific. I don't know the specifics of that, of that case, but I think that as a blanket answer, uh, you need to take, it's not apologizing. You're taking accountability until you figure out the truth. You know, like, even if it's something that's like, um, we are so sorry our company was involved in this. Um, we aren't sure of all the details. As soon as we're cooperating with authorities, with investigators, as soon as we get to the bottom of this and we know everything, we'll let everybody know. Just so you, you know, even if it's not their fault, I mean, it's still their brand. You know I'll put I mean? you on the spot. Yeah. Do you think the fairly recent cyber attacks with the MGM Grand, do you think they handled it well? No. No? Why not? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> What did they do wrong and what would you have done instead? They didn't address what was going on. They thought, I mean, and we, we saw that play out in real time because these days everybody is a journalist. Anyone who has an iPhone and access to a phone, it's got a camera, it's got, you can literally, you're, you are an investigative journalist. So when there are people, and that's what I just, I can't even believe that no one saw this like in a contingency plan. If something happens like this, what are we going to do to tell people like they didn't tell people who had booked their um their hotel stays that they were having issues with their computers and whether or not they knew there was a cyber attack going on what was going on is all of these influencers or you know some people who don't even have a following but people who do have a following were finding their videos and putting them on their platforms with hundreds of thousands of followers with no statement from MGM so now it looks like you're hiding something, right? Because something's going on. How many properties does MGM have in Las Vegas? And all of their computer systems were down, which means the slot machines were down. So people were just going around the casinos, videotaping, you know, what was going on on the casino floor, where it was very obvious there was an issue, that there was a problem. 
the check-in lines were wrapped around the corner. So it's like, at that point, if you're not addressing that there's something going on, like people are going to address it for you. So yes, that's why the first thing you should do is be forthcoming, even if you don't know what's going on. Because how could they have known, right? If they didn't know there was a cyber attack going on, let's just say, like, we are facing a an issue with our technology. It is across all properties. Uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. As soon as we find out more, we'll let you know. In the meantime, our check-ins are going to be run from iPads. Don't worry. We've got, you know, we've got this handled. There was none of that. So it was just people finding out when they'd flown here from all over the world, all over the U.S. It's just like not a good, not a good look. You're always on. You never shut off your phone. But... I you're supposed I do now. to. 10 I, do. I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Okay. I do. So are you worried though at 10.05 that all hell's going to break loose? Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how do you shut your mind off? I have a very specific cocktail of melatonin, theanine, and magnesium that I take to make my brain shut off. But really what I also do is if I have my phone on do not disturb, and people don't know about this feature, but they should. There's a feature on your iPhone where you can put people in your favorites. And if anyone on that list calls you twice, the call goes through. So there are two people, you and Andrea, (laughs) who aren't my clients. Yeah. But then I have my clients who like, if there is a problem, they have to be able to access me. I imagine if I was your client, I would appreciate the fact that I would always be able to get a hold of you. But also too, for your own mental health, it is imperative that you shut down, that you take time for yourself. And that's why you travel a lot. And um, every year on your birthday, you take a trip and... um, at least one time, one big trip a year. But back to crisis management, you took a trip to, on an African safari and one of the worst things that could possibly happen, happened. Yeah. Did you just give up at that point with your vacation? Because it was full speed ahead. Yeah, there wasn't really a choice. So what happened was I uh, went on an African safari with my then boyfriend And he knows what I do. You know, I have like some high risk accounts um, in this particular situation. uh, I was aware that there that the CEO of Zappos, Tony Shea, had been in a fire. But the way that they had made it seem to us and as like the communications department was that he was going to get better. So no one really knew. Um, I was also privy that there was some drug problems in the past um, that had been flagged. But I didn't know that the two were related. So we were, it was the start of day four. So at this point, we'd already been to Giraffe Manor, which was like, the that, coolest thing that was the coolest. Like yeah. we were like eating breakfast with giraffes, you know, um, insane, like in this old manor from like the, you know, I don't, I think it was the 1800s. I don't really know, but um, totally beautiful. So it was like, and we, but we hadn't been on the safari yet. So we had had to travel a day to get to, um, um, oh my God, what is the name of the desert that we were in? Uh, Masai Mara. And we were about to start the safari. And I'll never forget this. I put one of my Chloe boots, <laughs> Hunter Green, on the safari vehicle. And I looked down at my phone and I had a missed call from Tony's cousin, um, the COO of DTP Companies, which is um, what Tony was the visionary of, and then the marketing director. I'd saw, I'd seen three missed calls and 
I looked at my boyfriend at the time and I said, um, I can't go. I need to go back to the hotel room right now. Or hotel room. It was a luxury yurt. <laughs> <laughs> and I need Wi-Fi immediately. And he said, okay, I'll just have him go get our coffees and Tom will be a few minutes. And I was like, no, no, we won't be going today. You knew. Yeah, I, I knew there was something really wrong. So I went back to the hotel, gone on a call. They said, Tony has passed. I know that your VP is here on the ground, but, and I'm like, don't even, you don't have to finish a sentence. I got it. You know, like this isn't, people can't, I was working 16 hours. That's not an exaggeration, like nonstop. The emails were, I mean, I probably was getting, I would say maybe 150 emails an hour. Wow. Mm -hmm. While you were on vacation. While I was on vacation. So you know, obviously the estate took care of the vacation because it was over at that point. Um, and I needed to get back, uh, as quickly as possible, but I did need to work. Nothing can prepare you for something like that. You know, it's like, you are just kind of full speed ahead, like you said. Um, and so anyway, my, my ex, my boyfriend would bring me dinner, like to my computer and then I think at one point, three hours, and he went into like this common area to hang out with some folks we had met. Uh, and he came back to check on me like three hours later and I hadn't touched my food because I was just locked into my computer, you know. And because you were trying to handle, you know, this situation, you didn't even have a, a moment to, I mean, he was your friend. So yeah. you it, it didn't even really um, sit in with you that you had just lost a friend. Well, I knew from unfortunate experience how to handle death and grief and you know he was a friend but it was separate enough to where I knew that I needed to quit I had you can't some people hold it in and they break down later when you're in the thick of stuff and you can't do that so I got the news I hung up the phone I cried for 30 seconds and then I got myself together and then I started having calls with the estate immediately. Wow. So, but I needed that 30 seconds. You, hey, let me give myself a little bit of yeah. time to reflect right. on what just happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll switch things up a little lighter now. All right. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of questions whenever you post on social media Yeah. and uh, you're unable to answer a lot of them. Oh man, I have so many more questions I for you. I should be unable to answer, but I do it. <laughs> Okay, so here are some of the things that people have asked, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Describe your typical day. Let's kind of go through these fast, okay? Because I mean, we could go on forever, but describe your typical day as a business owner. There is no typical day as a business owner. Uh, I think, like I said, you have to have a routine in order to keep yourself organized so that you can keep a team of people organized. You have to take care of yourself first always. So I wake up early in the morning. I always take Xena on a mile and a half walk. Um, I usually get in a 30 minute workout. I put on my, my war paint, <laughs> my hair and makeup, and I dress nice and I come to the office and I just do what I need to do. There's not a, there's no cookie cutter day. It's like I could be, I live and die by my calendar. That was what I'll say to keep it short. I like this one. What are your uh, turnoffs slash red flags? <laughs> For men? Well, I guess in anything. 
pops in a red flag. Um, you know what I fucking hate? Oh my god. Go ahead. I fucking hate, hate when someone sends an text messages. Uh huh. That could be one one bubble, and they make it eighteen bubbles. You're like, and your phone just like ding, 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 and it's like, bro, are you fucking serious? Like, put it in one bubble, like one message. You don't have to send eighteen. And what I think about that to go deeper, it's really rude. Like, I think. Cause it doesn't give you, it doesn't make you feel like they're giving you time to respond because they're on to the next thing that they have to say. I think it's the most selfish shit I've ever seen. And I, wow. I, you're I, really passionate oh about that. Oh my God. I hate it. Oh wow. But yeah, I don't know if that's a red flag. It's just something I don't like. I wasn't really prepared for the question. What are three qualities you look for in a man? Trustworthiness. Um, athleticism, like I work out, it's important for me that the person that I'm with takes care of themselves, uh, in the gym, I want a workout partner. So that's kind of why I say that I have to give a disclaimer because it's not all about what the person looks like. It's how they, um, are disciplined and take care of themselves. So trustworthiness, athleticism slash discipline. Um, what could be a third one? Uh, I have to be able to have real conversations with with somebody what's the word for that like i need to be able to connect connection yeah, yeah absolutely. like i need a i need a solid connection with somebody all right um quickly because social media influencers are so prevalent now um and this is going to be a really tough question to answer in a short amount of time but what is one great way that someone can build their own brand oh my god one way what is what is something that they can do to build their own brand obviously that's what you're doing as a social media influencer you're building a brand so let's go from jump what's what's what do they need to make sure that they do what I think is that you have to have quality content and you got to know your way around a, even if it's an iPhone, like you got to take some time. There are like so many tips and tricks. I can't make this fast. Like in order to build a personal brand, it's not, there isn't a quick and easy answer. It's like you, uh, you know, have to be yourself and then kind of the followers that like what you're putting out will come to you. But, um, I mean, I'm much more concerned with aesthetic than most people are too. So that's tough. There's not, there's not one way. It depends on who you are, what you are, what you're trying to accomplish. There's so many variables. Yeah. To answer. You are. Is it just because you want it to look pretty? Of course. Yeah. I'm just like, like you. I'm color coordinated. My closet's color coordinated. My social media feed is fucking color coordinated. <laughs> Other than that time you just talked about in Africa, um, do you ever get your feelings hurt? Do you, do you ever cry over a client? Do, do people make you cry? Cause you're tough, but do you ever break down? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Recently too. What, what, what causes you? So I don't think it's uh, as so much as a day to day thing, but like specifically, you know, I don't have children. I don't have a partner. I don't know if I'll ever get married. I hope I do. I hope I have both of those things. But right now I don't. I'm 35 years old. And it was a really big deal for me to buy this building. 
Um, I could have bought myself a big giant house. I don't know. I could have done a ton of things, but what I wanted to do was the relationship with my company is the longest relationship I've ever had and hasn't let me down yet. So I bought commercial real estate and then I totally rehabbed this property. There was nothing in this building before and I worked on it tirelessly for a year. I mean, it is no joke. When things are behind me, I kind of, I don't look back in the rearview mirror, but if I'm, if I had to, this was, this project was insane. The amount of paperwork, the amount of um, design that went into building this, it was, this is me. It's a reflection of me and where I am and my hard work. And, you know, it was really important that the people that I let know about the grand opening make some sort of effort to come. And I think what really surprised me is the people that showed up were people that weren't really my close friends. Um, and my close friends didn't even say, I'm sorry, I couldn't be there for you. Um, and so the, and again, the room was full. It wasn't like I was some like loser that people didn't show up to my birthday party or something. Like it was a full room. And I'm so grateful for everyone that took time out of their busy schedules to come here and make me feel special. But I think, you know, going back to me being a single woman, uh, I have sh flown across the country for some of these people's weddings. I have sent extravagant wedding gifts. I have shown up to their kids' birthday parties with gifts. And this is what I have to, this is what, this is the part of my life where I needed them to show up for me. And it wasn't really received that way. And whether or not I made it seem like it was that big of a deal, my feelings were really, really hurt. I mean, even some of my clients that didn't show up um, when it was like what we talked about on conference calls. Um, it was really upsetting. And and um, Chef Daniel, who's the executive chef at Carver Steak, like he could tell there was something off like after, because I went home and took my makeup off and like after the grand opening party for this building and and cried. And and he was, he was like, I'm so sorry I couldn't make it. And of all people, come on, he's running a multi-million dollar restaurant in the kitchen. like. It's cool, bro. Like yeah. of all people, I wasn't upset with him, but we are really uh, good friends. And and he called me and just we sat on the phone and he just listened, you know. And and I was I was really upset that night. It really, and it and it's hard when the the people that I know out here are, you know, if I'd had this this in Houston, I would have had you. I would have had Andrea. I would have had you know people that were important to me in Texas show up, but like. I also have people who are important to me in Nevada and absolutely and Las Vegas. And it, and it was really soul crushing. It was really disappointing. I was so disappointed. You yeah. Know, so. I understand that because you devote your entire life to doing things for other people and, and, and for, and working for other people. And the one time that you needed people to show up for you, you felt like they weren't there. Totally. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think we all deal with that in our lives and, you know, depression is all time high. And, uh, you know, it's because sometimes we just don't feel like we can count on people and having a, a you know, a group of friends is so critical that, you know, that you're, you know, that they're going to be there for you. And I know that you found those and I know that you have those here, but, uh, but you know, that was good that I'm glad you shared that. Um, all right, let's wrap things up with a quick little this or that. Okay. I'll do a little this or that. Cause we got deep. Um, I, want to say that um to tack on just a moment to what you said um having known you for 12 years in a very intimate way um 
you're one of my absolute most favorite people on the entire planet. And if I could sum you up in one word, well, it would be impossible, but one of the words I would use is loyal. Um, so I understand because you're loyal to your friends and you're loyal to your clients and, uh, you probably seek that reciprocation from the people closest to you Yeah, and, uh, you, you want them to be loyal to you. Right. I, I do agree with, if I had to pick three words to describe myself, loyal would be one of them. It's like, it, it's almost to a fault sometimes. Yeah. Like where we said, you know, I won't let go of relationships sometimes that aren't good for me because of, of loyalty. So you know, you got to kind of check yourself sometimes. And also with those situations, it's like everyone also has their own life and there's maybe other ways they show up for me that I'm not giving people credit for, but you know. All right. This or that text or call text. Don't fucking call me, bro. (laughs) Nobody calls me more than you do, by the way. Well, So (laughs) unless you're you or Andrea, it's like the, just the, the audacity <laughs> like i'm not fucking around i'm not hanging out yeah shoot and, and honestly it's not that i don't want to jump on the phone if you text me something and i know what it is and i need to call you i'll make it happen absolutely but i don't have the capacity to be on the phone like i am around people in meetings all the time so just shoot me a shoot me a quick text uh driver or passenger oh my god I would love to be a passenger. <laughs> I, I need, I need to get a driver before I'll ever get a personal assistant. I would get a driver. I need to be in the back seat working. Like I, I can't like meetings and stuff. Like I, I'm constantly in my car and I hate it. Everybody that knows, you know, that you represent some of the finest restaurants in the country, but would you say dine in or dine out? Dine in. Movies or TV shows? Ooh. Movies. Pizza or pasta? Easy. Pizza. This is going to be a tough one. Friends or family? Friends. Not That's not hard at all. Oh. <laughs> can we? And like, can we all stop pretending like everyone has perfect families? Uh, like, who does? I don't, nobody does. And that's what I'm, I'm like, that is so easy. That was like a no. What do you mean? That's going to be tough. Oh, okay. Not tough at all. I love my friends. Your friends are the family that you choose. That's right. So right. easy. To give or to receive? I can tell you what I do and what I prefer. <laughs> I feel like I spend a lot of my time, 99% of my time giving and taking care of other people. I wish I received more, but I'm actually not that good at it. So I, I don't know how to answer that. Introvert or extrovert? Both. Literally split down the middle. Casual or formal? <laughs> Casual. <laughs> Just kidding. Gem or spa? Oh my God, Jim. I fucking hate spas. Really? They're so stupid. Why are you going to spend all that money to go like, it doesn't, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see a value. Honestly, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big spa girl. Soft or hard tacos? Soft. Truth or dare? I like both of them, but I'd say, (laughs) I'd say, (laughs) I'd say dare. Well, I dare you to, um, I don't know where I was going to go with that. I was, I was hoping you would say truth because I had a better answer for that. He had something prepared. I hope that you have, well, first of all, if you made it this far, thank you. Um, and I hope that you have learned a little bit more about Megan. And um, maybe you learned a lot more about Megan and really kind of gotten 
uh, you know, peeled off a little bit of the layers. Um, some people only know you through social media. Some people like your clients and your friends um, know you on a much more intimate level, but I can tell you that you're one of the greatest people in the world. So thank you for allowing me to flip the script and turn the table and allow people to get to know the person that I love so very much. Thank you for not making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you. I tried. <laughs>